Welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. My name is Michael LeBlanc, and I am your host. I believe in the power of storytelling to bring the retail industry to life. I'll bring insights, perspectives, and experiences from some of the retail industry's most innovative and influential voices each week. This podcast is produced in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. From Edelman's Breakthrough Gen Z Lab, Courtney Miller, Executive Vice President and Head of Strategy, and Giselle Wasipoma, Gen Z Lab Ambassador, Influencer Marketing, reveal five myths about how Gen Z shops. If you're not looking closely, you might think that the Gen Z demographic is all about impulse buyers who only buy niche, sustainable brands and are the death of brick-and-mortar shopping experiences favoring flashy, innovative tech experiences instead. In exploring these beliefs with their Gen Z Lab 200-plus Gen Zers across the Edelman network, Courtney and Giselle discovered that many of these commonly held notions aren't true. Let's hear all about it now. Giselle, Courtney, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you both doing this morning? Great. Great. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. Now, uh, Courtney, I think I'm finding you in Chicago. Giselle, where are you? Are you in Chicago as well? Are you elsewhere? No, I lie and say I'm from New York, but I'm actually from Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Let's jump in with some introductions, a bit about yourself, how you got to be you, and, and what you do for a living. Courtney, let's start with you. Yes. Um, so like I said, my name is Courtney Miller. Um, I actually lead a strategy for our central region um, out here in Chicago. We cover a bit of the Dallas area. Um, I think it's the best job in the world because I get to get to know people. Um, and really bridge the gap between what people want and need and what brands have to say or sell, Um, which makes Edelman a really great place for me because we sort of sit right at the intersection of that naturally. Um, We're all about trust and the house of trust and how how that really drives that link between brands and consumers. Excellent. Excellent. Giselle, what about yourself? Yeah, um, I've been with Edelman for almost two years at this point. I work in influencer marketing as a coordinator, sitting on an e-commerce team, kind of juggling a lot of different Mm -hmm. hats, I guess you could say, under luxury, sneakers, fashion, a lot of fun stuff, collectibles. Um, And then other than working as an influencer marketer, I'm also part of the Gen Z Lab as an ambassador. Tell us about what makes uh, Edelman different and, and uh, I, again, a little bit of the scope and scale just in case folks, uh, I'm sure they've heard of the name, but don't understand what entirely you do. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, Edelman is uh, often known by name, but the size, scale, and scope is lesser known to many. We are the largest independent global communications firm. Um, we've got about 6,000 people uh, globally. We cater to just about any client you could possibly think of across any sector category. We do things that range from very branded work to corporate and crisis work. Um, We really do a lot of consultancy with our clients, as well as more of the traditional communications that you would see coming out of advertising. Um, And then, of course, we are best known for our annual trust barometer as well. Uh, which really makes us, I think, super different and compelling. We're, I think, 21 years in running with the the trust barometer mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. looks at the state of the union on trust against some of the biggest institutions um, in our world right now. What what What's the very, very short version of what makes Edelman different? You should choose or work with Edelman, or we tell our prospective clients to work with Edelman because... 
you're asking me for the elevator pitch, which is exactly what we do for our clients. <laughs> um, so good question. I would say we are the house of trust and we really bridge that trusted relationship between brands and companies. Um, Giselle, let's talk about the Gen Z Lab, Gen Z Lab. Um, what's its role, its work within the firm? And and uh, let's talk about uh, that because we've got a great study here, Z, Z Commerce, Z Commerce, and it's got some, some myths that you've uh, exploded through the work. But let's first take a step back and why was it established and what's its purpose and how does it work? Yeah, so I like to consider the Gen Z Lab as the missing piece to the puzzle for every business, no matter what sector you're a part of, like tech, um, CPG, food and beverage, um, energy, literally anything under the sun, Gen Z Lab is just a perfect fit for every business. So it started back in the summer of 2022. And ever since then, we've grown across the entire globe up to 200 or so Gen Zers, um, basically just having that voice and that input Mm. into these bigger, larger scale meetings that a lot of times we're just not a part of um, because there's what I like to call the big wigs in the room. And Mm. (laughs) we're usually not a part of those conversations. And Gen Z Lab really opens up those doors for retailers or any other people in the business that are interested in Gen Z and expanding the future of their business. I guess we shouldn't assume that everyone knows because everyone, I guess, might have a slightly different version of what Gen Z means. But just, let's talk about who a Gen Z person is and is what's the demographic? What does that segment look like? And just unpack that for a little bit so we're all on the same page, so to speak, about who we're talking about. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times there's so many blurred lines between like who falls into Gen Z. There's also a mm. lot of times where people say, I'm a zillennial, where they're just like in that cusp between being Gen Z or being millennial. Or Did you, did I, you say zillennial? Did you say yeah, zillennial? Yeah, millennial, millennial with a Z. <laughs> I, love, I love that. <laughs> There's a lot. So if we want to go to the very youngest, even before like, or I guess you can say after in a time frame would be Gen Alpha, which is everybody who's basically still in middle school and elementary school down to babies that are being born at the second. So um, after that, I would say around high school age currently would be Gen Z all the way up to about 24 to 25. And again, like I said, you can Google who is a part of Gen Z and mm. a lot of different websites will tell you yeah. different time frames. So yeah, I think just to get a sense of who's where <laughs> right now at this current time in 2023. Um, I think the oldest Gen Zer would be around 24-ish, um, maybe okay. 25. Again, that starts tipping into the territory of Zillennial. Right. And and was there a, um, what was the compelling business case that we said, we need to understand this segment better? Was there a sense, first of all, that it was a, a, a very large uh, population of of people, so i.e. the addressable market was going to be significant, and b that um, you know under ordinary circumstances or ordinary processes or whatever, you didn't really have a good handle on what Gen Z was all about, and it was it the client saying, "Listen, I can't get my head around what these folks are about." Like, what yeah. made it so different that you needed a a, a lab? Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons why, but I think the main concern was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> that was a big, that was a big, I don't know what to do from our clients. And um, you actually spoke with Jackie Cooper in one of your past episodes. And she, yeah, she is a big chunk of the reason why Gen Z Lab exists, because she has been getting that question so often in the past where they're like, I don't even know how to target them. Like, I'm terrified. Um, those kind of questions were coming from 
um, clients, like all of our clients, basically, like, how do we tap into them? Like, I don't want to be cringy. I don't want to be canceled. Like there was just so many um, questions and I guess fears behind that. And the Gen Z lab is a safe space or what I like to call more like a brave space, like be brave Mm. to like speak up with your voice um, from both from like, you know, both perspectives, Gen Z is speaking up and like telling it how it is and how they feel about um, any of the pitches that they have internally here at Edelman or also just the brands and clients connecting with us and being brave enough to say, Hey, I don't know if this idea is good enough. Like, would you care about it if I actually launched it? So we, we are those voices on the inside that help them out. All right. Super interesting. Well, like I said, we're here to talk about this uh, new study that uh, ties right into, uh, into retail and uh, reveal some myths that the lab has uncovered in its work. So Giselle, take us through the, the, the first myth and we'll, we'll put a link into this, uh, the overall document, but uh, from the start, I guess, take us through the first myth and then why the frame of myths. Like these were such common misperceptions. You said, listen, we got we to gotta just find five of these things and let's clear the air a little bit. So talk about that and the, the myth making and the myth dispelling and then what the first uh, observation is. I used to work in retail for a couple of years and I kind of have that, I guess, point of view, which I'm sure is why Courtney, Bridget and Kelsey tapped me in for this specifically is because I was on the inside as just a sales associate mm-hmm. and then kind of grew my way into influencer marketing. Um, so I think a lot of people think brick and mortar is dying or is like near the collapse. And that's just the complete opposite and not true whatsoever. Um, I've done several focus groups with clients on the retail side who have asked, like, do you just want us to be online? Do you want us to do this? And a lot of people, including myself, would say, like, no, why why would you do that? Like, I like going in store. I like trying on clothes. I like doing returns in person or exchanging in person. I like interacting with a human being. Like, Mm. those conversations, and even more after the pandemic, like, I want to have those conversations. I do want to go in stores. It's just about doing it right. So it's really not, like, having, I guess, a sales associate breathing behind your neck versus having a personal connection. There's like yeah. a complete difference. So I think that's something that we also mention in the white paper mm-hmm. is just how to connect with Gen Z on a more personal level versus like very surface level and transactional. I think the big confusion sometimes becomes this retail as, as simply a, a task or a thing to do when we all know it's, it's, it's social and it's cultural. Is, is there a bit of a I've seen it in some research that it's kind of a break from social media, like social media is part of our lives. And I, I guess in a different podcast, we talk about its role with, with Gen Z, but is it, is it a break from social media? Is it, is it just a different part of socialization? And, and would it be the same if the COVID era hadn't happened and kind of woke everybody up to, wow, people are important. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> like, yes and no. It's, it is a break from social media in the fact that you do go out to the mall to either go with your friends, go with your family, or just go on a solo trip to, I guess, just distract yourself the same way somebody goes to a park or an amusement park or something else. And a lot of times, a lot of Gen Zers are going to the mall because they're hanging out with their friends. Like they're not going there to shop sometimes. Sometimes they're window shopping. And I think window shopping is even stronger than actually shopping, even Mm -hmm. though there's really no numbers to put behind that. Um, other than conversion when people are going in and out of the stores. <laughs> but um, it's I think that that aspect of it, there is a socialization component to it um, in person. But then when it 
transitions over to digital, it's a little bit different because mm. something important is connecting the stores in person to their online presence. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. I think that's something that a lot of stores that were brick and mortar that have shut down did not do successfully because they did not keep that presence on both ends. So that's something that's very important as well. Uh, well, Courtney, it's a good uh, it's a good segue to uh, talk about the uh, two through four. And the first one is um, the myth is that Gen Z is a huge online impulse buyers. I mean, we see these these uh, apps like Shein and uh, new apps coming like one comes, one goes really quick. Is it, is it should we not interpret that to be just launch an app, come and go, and just drive impulse? What what did you discover? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about Gen Zers is they are young. <laughs> In mm. fact, they're among the youngest of our generations, and that easily comes with this connotation that they are going to be sort of irrational buyers and impulse buyers. And, you know, our research has told us otherwise, sort of across the board, they're very sensible, they're very pragmatic. And as it relates to shopping and buying, what we've learned is that they might always be shopping, but they're not always buying. Um, And a a lot of the the things that they're doing online, um, some of the tools put in place like wishlisting or cart building is there to really put some parameters in place for themselves, limitations. Mm. And if they come back to those things later and still want them, they must really love them <laughs> because then they'll buy them. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And my, uh, my partner author, Steve Dennis, talks about the difference between shopping and buying, right? That buying is a little more ticket box off a list. It's a little less emotionally engaged. But shopping is an overall longer process, a little more of an engagement process. And I guess... I guess we shouldn't make the assumption that entire demographics go one way or the other, right? Is that a fair fair assessment we, based on your findings? We definitely should not treat them like a monolith, but I think probably the more important takeaway is that conversion, that point of conversion is not quick. And sometimes it's mm. a long game. And I think that some of our, our brands, clients tend to really look at the quickest way to get to the buy. Um, without really understanding the engagement, as you call it, behind it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, let's go to uh, myth number three that uh, Gen Z is always just looking for boutiques and sustainable brands. And they talk about that. You that, know what? Uh, this is one uh, one of the most fascinating topics. Mm. I have a 15-year-old and was just talking about this very topic with him. And he's like, Mom, I don't understand why everybody <laughs> thinks we all only want to buy sustainable. Mm. Um, but we often hear this very real contradiction that happens with our Gen Zers, mm-hmm. which is that they obviously value the values in sustainable brands, but that doesn't mean that they're always willing to pay for it. And I think we need to really consider the life stage that they're at, that some of these niche boutique and sustainable brands may just be a little bit out of reach for them. Mm. Uh, One of our Gen Zers told us, like, do as I say, not necessarily as I do. And eventually uh, I'm going to catch up and be able to do exactly what, um, what I want to be able to do with the means to be able to do it. I mean, that is one of the central demonstrably contradictions of the whole idea of sustainability is that there are retail brands out there, online brands that are selling products that are meant to be worn a couple of times and won't last much longer. That, and they're very popular, right? So it, it does seem to strike uh, many as the central contradiction. But what you're saying is that it's a trade-off for 
you know, the value versus sustainability, like folks are having to make trade-offs or like, it's very popular, right? Um, It's very popular. There's definitely some compromises that mm. often need to take place, but I think it's important to understand the, the thought process behind buying sustainably, um, with these Gen Zers, you know, mm. we talk to them and, and they say that, oh, it's not always just about the claim that a, a brand puts on mm-hmm. their product about sustainability. It's about my own personal consumption. Mm. Um, so how many times am I going to wear it? Um, how many times am I going to use it? Am I going to get the, the longevity out of it that make this, in my opinion, um, sustainable and make my personal consumption as sustainable as it can be? I think we we also talk about really for brands, how, how do you balance the value and values in there so that when they're compromising now, um, what does that mean for your brand down the line? Kind of a a question off to the side about that, which is, um, you know, the resale market is, uh, was predicted by some to be, to be huge, that it's the ideal world of, of rebuying. Is that, does that come up in the research as well that, uh, you know, there is absolutely. interested in, yeah, yeah I'd, it I'd imagine. It absolutely does. I almost think the resale market um, is the new department store for mm. a lot of these Gen Zers. It, it, it truly has moved beyond just the traditional thrift mm-hmm, to being mm-hmm. something that really allows them to, to buy what they want um, with an exclamation point on their own personal consumption. Well, it's interesting because I know my daughter likes to wear like my David Bowie concert T-shirt kind of stuff that I had from the from from a while ago. Is that is that a, a search for meaning in what they wear and back into history, or is it just a it, not just fashion because we know fashion encompasses a lot of stuff? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's funny because I also have a nine year old and she just did her class photos wearing an ACDC shirt and she has no <laughs> idea who ACDC actually is. Um, but, you know, I think that they they like this idea of a throwback mm. because it gives them some sort of safety and security um, about like former mm. days, what once was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that they are interested in sort of learning a little bit more about the throwbacks as well. But hmm. our hypothesis is it's it's it comes really back to that safety and security and sort of the feelings that, you know, back then sort of conjured up. Yeah, I guess that would be amplified after the COVID era, right? I mean, we had the opposite of all those for, for several Definitely. years, a lot of tough years to go through. So I guess it, it does... Maybe you're, Definitely. You're, Safety and security was one of our hallmark findings mm-hmm. of Gen Z, that just how much they crave it. And it, it really comes, it's very pervasive across almost every dimension that you can possibly think of. Yeah, probably no, no surprise there for any of us. All right, number four. Um, and again, this gets back to the whole buying versus shopping. You know, I, I was sitting through a, a presentation and a keynote and they were saying, you know, you need virtual reality in the store and it needs to be experiential. I'm like, ah, yeah, sometimes, but not always. And, and not everybody wants that. So talk about uh, this myth of the crave of splashy, innovative experiences, or I guess, Instagrammable stores, I guess is another, another way to put it. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that they're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. I think that isn't the only draw. I think Giselle did a really nice job even tying back into the brick and mortar, but you know, this is obviously a very digital generation. It's something we've heard a lot but almost half of them say that technology isn't the solution to most problems. And it also isn't the most appealing at times. And so I think that's something we often get wrong that, you know, we, they, they sort of crave the analog at times, the sort of sensible simplicity that kind of comes behind buying. And I think 
being able to use those flashy, innovative experiences in very smart, thoughtful ways makes a lot of sense, but it is certainly not the only solution they're after. Giselle, let's talk about uh, myth number five, which has to do with uh, influencers are awareness, not commerce. I guess this is the long thought of how do I turn an influencer program into something that generates revenue and, and is it just so high in the funnel I shouldn't be thinking like that. But it looks like your research says that there is a role for, 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 for commerce when we're talking about uh, influencers. I guess a little more of a direct role. Talk, talk about that for a bit. Influencers are at the top of their game right now. And a lot of people have said in studies that there might be a decline soon, et cetera, et cetera. But like, mm. I really don't believe that because a lot of times we are being tapped in for influencers. I myself work in the influencer marketing industry. Mm. And if anything, it's growing every single day. There's more demand all the time, especially working with a huge e-commerce client. Um, that's just the number one thing to push out um, immediately is just let's make sure our influencer team's tied into this and they bring us in all the time. Mm. So I think it's very important to tie us in at all times. Um, another thing I wanted to say was that I think a lot of people view it as kind of transactional for an influencer to just post about an item or whatever the product is. But there's a lot of relationships that go behind building those relationships with those influencers. And a lot of influencers also don't want to put their own brand on the line in order to promote a product. For example, as we were um, talking about earlier, sustainability, if a brand is like greenwashing their product, mm -hmm. like they're not going to put their own brand on the line if they do their own research and say, hey, I know you're offering me like X amount of dollars for this post, but like I don't want to post about something that's not authentic to myself. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of instances where I've seen that online where influencers will decline huge partnerships because it just doesn't align with their brand. And then I've seen the complete opposite too, where there's scandals and people are lying about the stuff they're posting about. Sure. So there's, there's just a, there's a balance that has to be done when retailers and clients like reach out for influencers, but that's why we're here to do the vetting and make sure that the partnership is as organic as possible. It's interesting. Cause you're, 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 you're talking about accountability, right? I mean, um, and and as influencer marketing, particularly to this demographic, is is it a, a a program that can work at all ages, not just Gen Z, or is it is it really a Gen Z phenomenon that's here to stay? You you, you seem to not think that there's a a waning point, or what am I thinking about? Like a point of of just so many influencers, it all starts to kind of wash out and and just be you know too much, too much of it happening. You don't see that in the future? Or how do you feel about uh, the future, like the three to five years ahead where there's so many influencers that it's all just influencer marketing? We don't seem to be at that point and you're, you're optimistic yeah. about the future. A lot of people say that there's an oversaturation of mm. influencers. Um, that word specifically, like it's oversaturated. The market's crazy. Like, how am I going to get noticed, you know, from like a TikTokers or Instagram person's like perspective, a creator, but I feel like it's just going to keep growing. And there's always somebody specific out there. We're always looking for people with specific niches as well. People who like multiple things, people mm. who are into lifestyle, beauty, mm. fashion, but also into cars. Like that's just so random, you know, like the, those kind of crossovers, <laughs> um, a lot of retailers look for. So there's always something out there for someone. So I think 
if anything, the oversaturation is only a good thing for business, um, especially retail and commerce in general. Uh, let, let me, you touched on something there. Just let me talk, let's talk about the platforms real quick. Uh, you talked about TikTok and I've been talking to some retailers who are really interested in what's going on in, in YouTube shorts. I mean, really short form video broke it open in terms of, you know, platforms and media. Is there any media that's on the decline? We hear challenges with TikTok politically. Uh, but from a use perspective, uh, boy, really, you know, it's a TikTok, Reels, all these things. Like, what, what's uh, what's popular now, and, and where do you think, you know, if we were to look around a corner, is it is it YouTube Shorts? What, what are you guys thinking? Yeah, a lot of the platforms are um, just copying each other a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of the times, because they are copying each other, one tends to die down. For example, at least for me and the group of Gen Zers that I hang around with, like we don't use Snapchat anymore. Hmm. And it's just not a thing because we have Instagram stories for that. And even though like that short form of like photos or videos started there and then moved over to Instagram, like we're sticking to Instagram because their layout was better. The interaction, the experience was better as well. But from seeing it, like they they had some controversy pretty recently, though, when they went, I I think the the community thought they went too far into video and kind of, you know, we're we're under undermining the the visual purpose was is that settled down or is that uh, any thoughts on that instagram specifically has started to prioritize more of their photos now we actually have seen more research come out that they did prioritize videos last year mm. and then into this year they actually announced that they're going to prioritize photos because that's what they were mainly known for as we all know and they should stick to what they know um Uh, But yeah, we've seen our own research, at least on my end, from my influencer team on this past campaign we did, where this influencer did a carousel post and everybody else did reels or TikToks and their their posts performed way better than everyone else. And it's just the algorithm doing its thing. So Mm -hmm. that's an example right there for you. Um, Another thing, I think long form video is, is here, but like nobody really cares about it, at least from a client's perspective and like what I've worked with, like nobody's going to be posting a video over a minute because a lot of the attention span on TikTok ends at five seconds. So you Mm. need to catch them extremely early. Wow. All right. Uh, Well, you know, again, another great segue to talk about advice to the retailers. I'm going to frame it in a two starts and one stop for retailers who want to grow their business with Gen Z, understand them. Courtney, I'm going to I'm going to tag you for the two things that retailers should start doing and Giselle I'm going to ask you for one stop. So Courtney? Oh, I also have one stop. So I might I might offer that and you can decide which yeah, one. Yeah, you guys can throw them around. You guys throw it around, but there you okay. go. Okay. So the the two is uh, the two starts are definitely consider Gen Z. I know oftentimes what we hear is that uh, our our clients let the fear of doing it wrong really get in the way of doing anything right. And so what mm. we've learned is that <clears throat> you get more credit for doing something than nothing. So, you know, don't let fear get in the way. Our, our entire principle is trust drives action and action drives trust. Um, so keep leaning into that and understand the influential value of Gen Z. I think the second thing is, is, Just like any other generation, this is not a monolith. Um, Gen Zs Mm. are very different. And, you know, probably one of the most fascinating things that we've learned is that it seems like a no-brainer, but a 13 or 14-year-old is very different than a 26-year-old. And, you know, that there's probably no other generation that spans so many transitions in life. And so definitely consider segmenting them and understanding sort of each unique value. 
All right, Giselle, one stop. What should what do you common see? Another way to think of this is a you know a common misstep or maybe something that just doesn't work anymore. I mean, things change, right? So what's what's the one thing the retailer should should stop doing if they're doing it or not start? Not a stop, but more of like an adjust. What mm-hmm. you're doing is just bringing in Gen Z to these conversations. And that's where I think the Gen Z lab steps in as well. Um, a lot of times we have huge room filled with like 50 plus execs and they're all pitching around ideas. Something gets through the door and it's aimed towards Gen Z and they don't even know it. Yeah. So then it gets out to the door into the public and Gen Z is like, this is not good. And then people start getting, <laughs> then people start getting canceled or people start um, throwing dirt around this brand's name, et cetera. And it's not a fun time. And then crisis PR comes and then it's a whole big jumble, jumbled up mess. Right. Yeah. So I think all of that can be avoided at the very beginning. And I've said this on multiple client calls where they're mm. like, can you just give us overall advice? Like, what should we do? And I'm like, well, the good thing is that we're here to help before anything gets out of, these four walls right before so you need, I think before you need the edelman crisis team let's let, let's avoid exactly. that they got enough to deal with they got enough stuff yes. that creates itself let's not create more for them <laughs> exactly so i feel like a lot of times i like to call this in my head like the point a to point c and a lot of people are skipping the point a mm-hmm. and just going b to c and i think we're really the point a here like we are the voices that need to be tapped into first before anything goes out the door especially if any brands, any retailers are looking into the future of their business because we're the future. Even if they're not thinking about Gen Z specifically and they say they're looking into the future of their business, we are right there. You're right there, right in front of them. Don't skip over the future. Great advice. Well, where can folks go to learn more? And and I'll put a link into the um, into the research itself. But if they want to get in touch with either of you, are you LinkedIn people? Are you What's the best way to get in touch? Uh, Courtney, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we are all over everywhere. We are all on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're both on Instagram, I believe. Yeah. If you would like to read a little bit more about our Z-Commerce study, you certainly can check that out at edelman.com um, slash insights. There is a ton of great stuff, including all of our proprietary research that we've done, as well as this uh, Z-Commerce white paper. All right. And Giselle, are you on a platform I'd never heard of? Uh, tell, time, to, time to talk about it now that uh, you've, been, you've been on it for years and we don't know about it. But uh, I'm, you, uh, I'm assuming LinkedIn and, and that and plus. Yeah. Email. Do you guys do you guys take email too? the old, old school way? <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I am on LinkedIn, just yeah. my first and last name. And also on Instagram. I'm sure you can probably find my Instagram somewhere on LinkedIn. And of course, just checking out element.com and read through our five minutes. All right. Well, listen, Courtney, Giselle, thanks so much for joining me on The Voice of Retail. Real fun and uh, very interesting discussion. And uh, as you say, uh, you know, look to the future. Here you are. The future's right here. And, and uh, thanks for putting this research out and helping us uh, take another step forward in, un- in understanding. So uh, once again, thanks for joining me. And, and uh, I wish you a great rest of your week. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Voice of Retail. If you haven't already, be sure and follow on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically each week. And be sure to check out my other retail industry media properties, Remarkable Retail Podcasts with Steve Dennis and the Global E-Commerce Leaders Podcast. Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue, with new episodes each and every week. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, consumer growth consultant, president of Emmy LeBlanc & Company, Inc., 
Maven Media, and Keynote Speaker. If you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at melablanc.co. Safe travels, everyone. <laughs>